The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. You know, we've had plenty of guests on PFT Live over the years, the PFTPM podcast, and you may have noticed I'm rarely starstruck. I rarely gush. But this is one of those rare occasions where I can't help myself because as a young boy growing up in the 1970s in the northern panhandle of West Virginia, every Sunday during football season at noon Eastern, appointment viewing for me, all due respect to NBC, was CBS, the NFL Today, hosted by my next guest the incomparable Brent Musburger. Brent, welcome to the program. It's great to talk to you. Good morning, Mr. Florio. How are you, lad? And uh, I so appreciate you dropping by on the NFL today when you were a youngin back in your days back in West Virginia. That was a that was great fun uh, for that show to be on one of the first, or well, I guess it was the first of the live pregame shows. They'd been taped before that, so it was a uh, Listen, a very memorable time for me and uh, and the entire cast. How much do you hear from people who grew up in that time frame? Just the gushing that that I will continue to do about what it means. You know, I remember watching the show with my dad and my mom, and they're gone now. And you know, I think about that time, and it brings back fond memories, and it really helped me really connect to football. How much do you hear those kinds of things from people that you run into? You know, not a day seems to go by when somebody doesn't come up and mention to me the NFL today, how, how they so enjoyed it, uh, many of them uh, coming home, having attended church somewhere, and it became appointment television. And, you know, back in the day, we only had a handful of stations. A cable had not exploded. Uh, there was no ESPN with uh, 24-7 sports around the clock, and now – Goodness, uh, everything's up there when it comes to sports. So it was unique during its time period, and and it's it's always a pleasure uh, to talk to people. Say, you know, I grew up with you. I grew up with you, Phyllis and Irv and, and Jimmy the Greek. And uh, like I say, hardly a day goes by, especially when I'm down, especially when I'm down in Las Vegas, because there are so many tourists who come through where we are at the Vincent Studio at the South Point. And they come up to me and say, oh, my goodness, I remember you back in the, the 70s and the 80s. And uh, so that's where you see the most of them is with the, uh, is with the tourists in Las Vegas. And you make a great point. The world is so different now. The information is so much more readily available in a variety of different platforms. But there was still something about that show that was special. It feels different than what we see now. I'm not going to name names, but there's... There's pregame shows now that just, it feels like it's a car that's made out of a bunch of different parts and slapped together. And there was a continuity, there was a flow, there was something special about the NFL today. What do you think made that show so special? Well, I think, without a doubt, it's the personalities that uh, Bob Wessler, Mike Pearl, and uh, Bob Fishman put in there originally. I think that when I was called uh, to talk about doing the show, it was just Irv Cross and me. And I had known Irv uh, from his days at Northwestern, and he was such a gentleman, and he was so nice to be around, and I, you know, I knew how good an athlete he was playing for Eric Parsegan, who was coaching. So we had a background, and I would visit with Irv. Part, part of his duty uh, on his scholarship, he had to have a job, and he would come through my dormitory at the time, and he would make sure that there was fresh towels, uh, fresh paper towels were put into the uh, – into the men's room and we would frequently run into each other and then we would start talking football or basketball. And of course he was a terrific track man. So there was that background and he was such a gentleman and he had played and he had coached in the NFL. So I really appreciated him coming in. And then when Bob called and said, "Um, do you know a Miss America by the name of Phyllis George? And I, I chuckled and, 
And I said, Bob, I really don't follow the Miss America pageant. I said, <laughs> I've seen it from time to time, and, and I'm sure she's lovely as most Miss Americas are. And she turned out to be better than that, Mark. She was not, you know, she was not an expert, nor did she pretend to be one about football. But she had this wonderful ability to move into, uh, into a setting uh, she she would have made a great politician. Let me, let me let me put it that way. She was she was so gracious and kind, and people always I think look forward to having her as a guest. I you know we all figured we were guests in people's living room back in the day, and then we added a little spice the second year with somebody I had known from my earlier travels in Las Vegas, and that was Jimmy the Greek. And we had I'll never I'll never forget the meeting we had with Pete Rosell. Uh, before the Greek appeared for the first time. And and I had known Pete for a long time, and I'd run into him at racetracks, and and, and and we were good friends. But he asked us, he said, you know, would you please not use the actual point spread? Would you please not say three, seven, ten and a half? Can I, can I just uh, have you not do that? And so absolutely we agreed. Um and so that's led to us uh, having discussions, and we came up with the old checkboard. And, and people, there are people today who will come up to me and say, ah, I would watch you in the Greek, and when he, he was sold on a team, I'd go the other way. You know, there's always that kind of conversation that, uh, that goes on. And I guess, interestingly enough, the Greek's best friend in the NFL was an owner by the name of Al Davis. They had uh, met back in the day, and... Not a week would go by when um, when the Greek wasn't uh, conversing with Al on football matters around the league. I used to kid Jimmy about about some of the information, but but I used to kid Al. I say, Al, you're one of our best producers, <laughs> and uh, we had we had a, we had a lot of dinners because I can give you I I tell one story, and um, <laughs> we had an intangible up there. Uh, I can't remember who the team was. They were playing the Denver Broncos. And uh, the intangible and, and the Greeks said, no, no, I hear that there's a little discord in the Denver Broncos locker room, which I kind of chuckled about because uh, when the show ended and went to the games, I, I went and checked the schedule because I was pretty sure what I'd see. And in uh, a week or two, uh, the Oakland Raiders were playing the Denver Broncos. So Al had planted the seed early that there might be a little problem with the uh, Broncos locker room and uh, and the Greek uh, gladly became the megaphone in that situation. So, but to, to go back to your question, I think I think it was a comfortable group of people. I was a complete unknown at the time and had come from Chicago. I'd worked some CBS Sports Spectacular, some AAU track and field, and I'd worked internationally and and around and about. But but Jimmy the Greek, Phyllis George, and Irv Cross. We're all better, much better known than I was uh, when we started the NFL today. But I think there was a comfort. I know, I know. Just speaking from my experience, I was always comfortable with with the group, and, uh, and I guess it was we were able to convey that uh, to the audience out there. It was it was certainly a structured pregame show, and and you know just having a half hour and not the two, two and a half, or whatever it is, I, I think we had an easier time. Uh, obviously, it led to uh, it led to the only bit of dissension that we really had on the show once was Jimmy the Greek thought I was giving Phyllis too much time, and he <laughs> wanted a little bit more, and so we settled out with brief fisticuffs in a, in a New York <laughs> saloon one night. <laughs> you know, I, I guess my, my, my only... Uh, advice for for someone who gets into it at a bar and of course now everything would would have been public within 15 minutes but we had a uh, we had one of the copy editors from the new york post who happened to be sitting at the bar uh that night when the uh when the scene developed and and of course that led to the headlines uh the next morning in new york <laughs> it's kind of funny because i was living in los angeles at the time was actually anchoring the news with uh, Connie Chung. I was commuting back for the weekend with the NFL today. And I was flying home, and, you know, fortunately the bartender had uh, turned out the lights 
when the little fracas broke out and, uh, and there was no harm done to, to either side. And uh, management, though, at CBS was livid. And uh, Van Gordon Sauter had then replaced Bob Wessler. And he said, we're going to fire the Greek. Uh, and, and I said, well, he called me in Los Angeles. And I said, Van, hold on. You know, I said, just let me let me give this a little thought. But I said, don't don't do anything yet. And so I just went in and I got a cup of coffee and talked to Marlene, my wife, and and it just it it just seemed harsh. Uh, you know, it was more like a couple of brothers got into a spat and we could get it solved. And so I called back and I said, Van, you know, I just I just don't think that's the right thing to do. Uh, I think we get this settled. I said, I think we can find up, find some way. It's a big story countrywide. Obviously we've gotten into it, but I said, let, let's not, let's keep the Greek. So he agreed, Van and I, uh, he had been one of my general managers actually starting at BBM in Chicago, but anyway, he agreed. And then we came up with the idea of the, of the boxing gloves uh, in the next show, we opened it up. We made light of it immediately <laughs> and passed on to the week's football games. But it was, you know, it, the camaraderie was outstanding. And that was the only time that uh, the Greek and I ever got in. We'd never had an incident with Phyllis or Irv, uh, for that matter. So behind the scenes, it was what it seemed to be, you know, a, a group of people who enjoyed each other. And I, and I think you can convey that in uh, – in television and it was not an awkward you know i wasn't dealing with you know 10 or 11 different people and uh we would use uh tom brookshire and pat summer or wherever they were we'd bring them on the air they had quick reports on the game they were always dealing in the biggest game of the day that was before john madden was still coaching the raiders at the time before he came to us so you know i guess it was all of those things that uh that made it what it was you mentioned the boxing gloves. Do you still get a royalty check from time to time from Rocky II, like 15 cents or 20 cents or something like that? <laughs> yes, I do. That's, uh, that's, what do you do with them? That's another, <laughs> that's another story, okay. <laughs> uh, and again, it's because I was living in Los Angeles, and um, someone that I had met at Northwestern, a great theater school, had, had uh, in you at the time. As a matter of fact, I was in one class with Ann Margaret. Uh, she was there uh, briefly before she became an international star. And uh, But at any rate, it this doesn't have anything to do with Ann, but I got a call from, from my friend, and he said, Brent, what are you doing tomorrow before you go in uh, and do the news with Connie? And I said, no, I'm hanging around. I said, you know, it's pretty much a day off. I don't have to travel. I don't have to... He said, listen, Sylvester Stallone needs a sportscaster to bridge something to uh, rankle Burgess Meredith, who doesn't want Rocky to come back and fight again. And I said, okay, I've got the plot. And he said, we're shooting in, I can't remember the name of the hotel, it was downtown Los Angeles. And uh, we're, we're sh- can, you, can you drop by about 10 o'clock? Uh, Sylvester's directing, he's in charge. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So I didn't think anything about it because I had done a couple of movies and I knew that, uh, you know, the script would be there and we'd take a look at it. And uh, if I was going to play the role of a sportscaster, they'd probably even have a prompter for me. And so I went down to the hotel and it was up on basically kind of a an abandoned old uh, floor. I mean, this hotel had been closed for, for years. They're getting ready to demolish it. So I went out, the crew was up there, and I met Stallone. I'd never met him before, and he could not have been more gracious and nicer. And, and he again ran down the plot, and the whole idea was to have a sports cast, but in it uh, was to try and bring Rocky back from his retirement and uh, fight Apollo Creed again. And so I said, oh, that's great. I, I said, I'd do it for you. Uh, do you have the script? And he said, he looked at me and said, we don't have a script. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah. He said, I just want you to do a sports cast like you would do it and lead to this sound. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, let me give it a shot. Now I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, you know, give me about 15, 20 minutes of takes here. 
and we we can get something that's that's up there. So I start out and I do it. And listen, I thought you know it was gonna be a take two. He said, "Cut, that's great. We really appreciate that." And I said, "That's all you need." And that was it. it was It was a it was a one take off the top of my head. Uh, and of course, anybody who's seen it, you know, it's Burgess is prone on his bed watching the the newscast, and I come up with this. And uh, I think you can hear Joe Namath's name, and I, I can't even remember now. But at any rate, lead the sound of Apollo. And so I always say, listen, I'm the only guy that ever got kicked during a during this by Burgess Meredith because he kicked out at the television set at the time. So that's how it went. And yes, yes, to answer your question, it's kind of interesting because I'll get a check for. What was the last one? Thirty dollars and thirty-five cents for international international sales of Rocky Two. So that was how. <laughs> hey, that's not bad, uh, Brent. Most of those checks are usually under a dollar. So at least you know it's a, it's something worth cashing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh no, no, I did get one. I was on a, a radio. I think was the name of a TV show. I got one for thirty-seven cents. Uh, <laughs> I think that's still sitting around at a desk uh, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Rocky too. Great experience. Well, you got a, a new gig that's going to pay more than $30.35. You're going to be the play-by-play announcer on radio for the Oakland Raiders. When I saw that, I fell out of my chair because no one suspected it. No one heard that anything was coming. How did this come to be that Brent Musburger is going to be calling radio games for Al Davis's son, Mark? I fell out of my chair okay and this is the truth i went to a a vegas golden knight hockey game it was boy it might have been the first game of the playoffs now that i think about it and i i can't even remember they opened up with the kings the los angeles kings and my good friend Derek stevens who owns the d casino in downtown las vegas and as a great backer of V-Sin, um, sent word that would I like to join him at, at the hockey game. And I said, sure, because uh, along with having one of the luxury boxes uh, for, you know, the best customers of the D and his family, he's got so many friends. He's from the Midwest. He's from Detroit, went to the University of Michigan. But anyway. Right, so I go down to medium and he's, they have a, a little restaurant for their best season ticket holders in, in the basement of the T-Mobile. And I go down there to meet he and his wife. And uh, I walk in and I see Mark Davis. So across the, across the room a little bit sitting and talking to somebody and I hadn't seen Mark, listen, I'm not sure I'd seen him since he was a little boy. But at any rate, I say to Derek, Derek, have you ever met Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders? And he said, no, no, I haven't. I said, well, come with me. I'll introduce you. So I took him over because um, Derek was a sponsor of the Golden Knights downtown. He was, he'd signed on with Mr. Foley. And I honestly thought, oh, maybe I can get something going with, with Derek and Mark when he brings a team here in, in three years. Well, I certainly wasn't thinking of myself. And uh, walked up, made the introduction, and they they chatted for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, it seemed like. And then I walked back over uh, just to go with Derek to the seats, and Mark looked at me and said, Hey, Brent, did you ever think of coming back and broadcasting some Raider games? And I... Full disclosure, I thought he was talking about preseason television, which, you know, they, they go to pick up announcers for four games because they market. They market the reason why we don't have just two preseason or one preseason is the fact that these teams make money off those games by marketing the broadcast rights. And I said, yeah, sure, you know, you can, you can call me. And I was just kind of being friendly. You know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't thinking about anything involving the radio play-by-play and went up to the hockey game and well i don't know two three days later the president of the team mark bedane calls me and it's then that i realize they're talking about the radio play-by-play 
okay? <laughs> and and I said, well, I said, Mark, let me let me let me give that some thought. And and I said, let me, uh, I'll get back to you. And um, I don't know. Within another week, Mark Davis called me, and um, he and the Raiders are very close. Mike, Mike Ditka has a uh, gridiron. It's called uh, gridiron for former NFL players who are down a little bit on their luck, and, and it's a fundraiser. And they do it in Las Vegas. And so Mark asked me to come and be his guest, it was very the uh, the fundraiser was very close to where I live, so yeah, sure, I'll I'll come over. So that night is when when it got serious, and you know I <laughs> I said, well, let me think about it again, and I knew that they really wanted me to do this, and I was assuming that uh, maybe it was uh, just the year that they came to Las Vegas or something, and then. In our discussions on the telephone, I, I realized that they wanted me to do it this year to come back and uh, and uh, do it for the two years, and then the the first year when uh, when they move into Las Vegas, and that that's how it all came about. I was not like I was not at all thinking about going back to the booth. I was busy with the Daily Show, and uh, it's just that you know they kept talking to me about it, and uh, so. The idea, and then I think a couple of things probably pushed me was the fact that I had I had known Al so well from my days with with the Greek, and uh, I I I went down to the the Raiders office in uh, Las Vegas and I bought a couple of um, season tickets. My son up in Montana had said to me, "Dad, can we get tickets?" And I said, "Well." I said, rather than being a freeloader, let me let me just go down and see what it is. So I bought a couple of personal seat licenses for him and uh, and anybody in the family or friends or whatever. And so I knew the people. I'd, I'd met Mark, the president, uh, down there at that office. So I was kind of familiar with what they were doing. And when I drive down to the South Point, I actually go by the uh, – not directly. I have to leave and go on one road over to the new stadium site. And I'd been over there a couple of times watching what they were doing. And I don't, well, well, I know I wouldn't even be interested in, uh, in doing something. If it wasn't for the fact that that team is, uh, is moving into that new stadium. So that's, that's exactly how it came about. And I wasn't thinking at all about going back to the booth, but, uh, but here it is. And the other, the other story, I'm fascinated with John Gruden's return to the league. Um, I'd worked so long with Vermeil, Dick Vermeil. And um, I said to Dick, knowing the story as to why the Rams wanted him so badly, and he'd been away longer than John, and he'd been in a college game. And uh, I remember I said, you know, Dick, all ex-coaches have that itch, so why don't you go scratch it and see how it works out. And um, my son actually went to work in the scouting department up there and was one of the – Scouts were looking at the tape of the European Football League, and Charlie Army was the leader. But they liked what they saw in a guy by the name of Kurt Warner, and uh, so you know I've seen the I've seen Vermeil go back, uh, experience the great high of winning a Super Bowl, and I'm kind of interested in seeing what John Gruden's going to do with uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders going forward. I think I think it's it's a very good story. Well, and look, his first year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right away they win a Super Bowl. I just don't know that he's got the same talent that he's walking into in Oakland that he had in Tampa Bay. I think it may take a while. They're going to have to make some good moves to get the team to the point where they're competitive or as competitive as they need to be to do battle with the likes of the Patriots. I totally agree with you. In fact, I have told people somewhat jokingly, I say, look, I have the advantage of looking at numbers daily from Las Vegas. And I will tell you right now, the over under number on the Raiders is eight. I said eight as in 500 season. So I said, listen, those guys do not put out ridiculous numbers. Okay. For you to go ahead. If you, if you want to take a shot at the over, go ahead, but it's just as likely to wind up as the under winning seven or, or six games. I said, 
uh, because I'm going in with the Raiders, I've looked at the roster, I've looked at what moves that Gruden has made, and we're going to have 25 to 30 new faces on a 53-man roster. I said, that does not speak of a team that's going to make a move on the Super Bowl. It took, it took the Eagles a number of years to get put back together. I said, now they made great, great free agent signings uh, prior to, to winning the Super Bowl. But remember, they had to get Carson Wentz in there as a quarterback, and he puts it in motion with, with the great performance until he goes down with the injury. I said, there has to be a little patience here. With uh, When Gruden won with Tampa, he had a great defense in place. Uh, he does not have a great defense in place right now with the uh, with the Raiders. As you and I speak, Khalil Mack is a is a holdout, and Mack is is the best defensive player that the Raiders have right now because he's the one the one player who can put consistent pressure on the quarterback. I don't think there's any doubt, Mike, but it's going to take the Raiders and John some time uh, to position the franchise. They've got to make great moves. He's brought in some veteran. I could not believe it um, that they intercepted only five passes. Five passes. Wise. I said, just a typo? That's got to be a 15. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, to, to make a move, I don't. the Eagles had to intercept 22, 23, whatever it was last year. You, you've got to intercept over. You, you've got to have that positive turnover ratio if you're going to make a big move in a, in a given year. And the Raiders don't have that, so it's going to take a little bit of time. And even they showed their hand in the draft uh, when they took two offensive tackles early uh, in the draft. That indicated to me immediately that uh, there might be some age and some injuries and, and situations, and he's got to rebuild that offensive line on the outside. The inside, internally, uh, anchored by the center Hudson, they're in pretty good shape. But but you're you're exactly on the money. He's not... He's not take, you would not think uh, that he's got a chance to take this team uh, even close to a Super Bowl. Listen, it would be a great accomplishment if they could even make the playoffs, and I'm not so sure that they can do that. Uh, so, so, so we shall see. You mentioned that over-under number of eight wins for the Raiders, and I think you're right. That's a fair number because I don't know which way I would go on that one. But in that same division, you got the Kansas City Chiefs, and the last number I saw for them was eight and a half, and they have this new quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, and we know how Andy Reid gets the most out of any quarterback you put in front of him, no matter who it is. I'm stunned that that number is that low. What do you think of the Chiefs? I mean, you're going to see them twice this year, big rival of the Raiders. I think they're going to be better than eight and a half wins. Well, you know, the, the, the reason why you, you put that number at eight and a half is because of what you're talking about. In other words, Mahomes had one start, okay, and it was in a meaningless game wrapping up a season. They'd already clinched a, 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 a playoff berth. But it was interesting uh, because that number opened at eight and was attacked and went to eight and a half. Now, there's great weapons around Mahomes, but there's also the negative part of that is the feeling, yeah, you know, but he's still going to make mistakes. He's a gunslinger. Now, now his father, being a major league baseball player for a decade, he's been around, Patrick, he's been around professional athletes, and he, he, he knows what it takes to be a winner. And he's a little bit, I saw somebody compared him to Brett Favre, uh, and listen, that means he's going to make some mistakes. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, you're not. You, they open. They also, Mike. They have a very tough schedule. It's tougher than uh, the Raiders play, for example. They draw. You know, you have two. Everybody in the AFC West will play the AFC North. That's the the matchup of the two divisions. You change. You change it other than your own, obviously. But then you pick up two other teams, okay, in the AFC. All right. Now, the two that the Raiders picked up this year, Miami and Indianapolis, manageable. We would all say manageable, okay? The Chiefs pick up New England and Jacksonville. <laughs> Not so easy, mm -hmm. okay? So there would be another little difference that you would put in there. When you talk to people who are close to the AFC West, actually the team that jumps out that they think will win the division 
would be the Los Angeles Chargers. They think that that team is uh, ready to make a move, assuming that they can get Gates uh, back in the fold, and I'm sure they will. It's just going to be a matter of money because they've got to they've got to have somebody who can catch the ball at that tight end position, having lost a very unfortunate injury uh, when Henry, their young tight end, went out and uh, is lost for the season. So, but that's the reason why the Chiefs are downgraded just a little bit. You know, there's a touch of uncertainty about a rookie quarterback. I think that you would find a majority of uh, scouts around the NFL who would say that Andy Reid would win more games this year with Alex Smith than with Mahomes at quarterback. However, having said that, Reid is much closer to making a move on a Super Bowl down the road with Mahomes than it would be with Smith, if that makes sense. No, it does, because it's about getting Mahomes to his ceiling. And to get to his ceiling, he's going to have to go through that Brett Favre phase where he makes some mistakes. And I think Reid embraces the reality that you just let Mahomes go be Mahomes. He'll learn from his mistakes, and he'll reach that ceiling sooner rather than later instead of trying to hold him back. So that makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense. Speaking of holding things back, and I know i got to let you run, but i got to ask you this before we go. With the legalization of gambling and more and more states adopting it and the broadcasters in the thick of things getting access to practice and meetings, I've heard some talk from some network executives that there's going to be something eventually in place that restricts what people who have that inside information can do by way of wagering. Do you see anything like that ever coming where the folks who have the access are going to be prevented via their contracts or whatever ethical rules end up applying to broadcasters to not use that information uh, and uh, and place a better two on the games. Well, could you give me an example of, of, of exactly what it is? That, uh, in other words, let's, all right, let, let's use me because I'm a recreational better. I don't, you know, I don't make any, there's no secret about that. I, I would never try to do it as a profession. And I tell everybody, you know, have some fun with it, but don't think you're going to go in there and, and make a lot of money. It's not as easy as you think it is. Or there would be a lot of people retired who would become professional sports bettors. There's a there's a reason why those casinos keep getting bigger and bigger. Okay, so let's use me as a perfect example. I, and let's let's go one step further. I play in the super contest um, over at the Westgate. It's the biggest of the of the contests in the country. I'm sure that they will start some in uh, New Jersey, which will probably go by just simply based on population. But for the time being, the one over the Westgate's the biggest, where you pick five games during the NFL's regular season against the point spread. Okay? Now, I'm here to tell you that let's say that I said to my, oh, I'm going to pick the Raiders uh, game every week. I'll know. I'll know for sure what's going on. I've got, I mean, this guy's coming back from it. Uh, not so fast, my friends. I have found, <laughs> I have found that the closer you get, the less apt you are to see the truth when it comes to picking football games. The the best handicappers that I have ever been around have nothing whatsoever to do. No, no such thing as inside information. They they look at numbers. Uh, they certainly watch the game. They know the personnel. But they're not biased. Uh, in other words, there, there will be, if I did that, there would be a bias factor that would enter in uh, mentally, that would kick in. And uh, listen, I might be right, maybe 50% of the time about the Raiders' season. So I don't, I don't, I, I'm not sure what they're talking about. I think it is what it is. Now, I, somebody asked me on the other day on, on radio, Mike, they said, well, what about during a game? Are you going to come on and and uh, and say it's the third? Okay, we've got five minutes to go in the third quarter, and the, and the Raiders' in-game wagering have become a seven and a half point. Fa- I say, are you kidding? I said, I'm a little bit busy. I said, <laughs> listen, I said, you know, <laughs> I, I said I'm going to know. For example, I know right now that the Raiders are a home underdog on their opening Monday night game against the Los Angeles Rams. They're a field goal underdog. I know that it opened at a point and a half, and there was early money quickly bet on the Rams side in Nevada. I'm aware of that. I'm aware that the over-under number is 49 and a half and probably going to stay right in that area. I'm not, I'm not convinced it would hit 50, um, 
maybe it'll come down. They think the offense would not be up to speed down in Los Angeles. I said, I don't know. I don't have any idea about that because money, money would move that line. But even though I'm going to be over at the Raider camp uh, here in a couple of weeks, and even though I'm going to be looking at preseason games, four of them, before we get started, I don't think there's any such thing. Now, the league, Mike, the one thing the league has always done well, and this goes back to the Roselle days, um, Pete Roselle, uh, you know, he'd love to bet on horses. He, you, you could find him at a racetrack uh, many a day. I mean, he, he understood the gambling part of it completely, okay? And so that's when he kind of put his foot down about those injuries, those reports that, uh, that have to be, come out every week. And that is strictly, that is strictly to protect people in the, uh, in the betting industry and uh, everybody who participates. The National Football League, to a large extent, way back in the day, it was gambling that, that pushed it forward. It was, it was guys taking chances on games with a neighborhood bookie or with their buddy for a dinner that night or, a, you know, whatever. That, but there was a big, big surge um, forward with the, with the National Football League because of it. But I, it, the bookies would all be broke if such a thing as inside information uh, could help you beat them. These, these are very sharp numbers. For example, you and I have been talking about the over-under numbers for the season. Guys have already bet into those numbers, okay? And so the money tightens it up, and you, it, it's hard. I mean, it is really hard. Uh, last year when I was in the Super Contest, I finished one or two – one game – no, we had two entries. One finished two games over 500, and one finished one game. Okay, that's how difficult it is because you have to to make a profit because you're betting against the vigorous, which is known as a vigorous, really a tax on your bet. For example, as I look as I look right now on that Kansas City Chiefs eight and a half, it's minus one fifteen to the under. In other words, to uh, to make uh, to make one dollar, you've got to lay a dollar fifteen, or to make a hundred dollars, you lay a hundred and fifteen, and to make a thousand, you may, you lay uh, one thousand one hundred fifty dollars. That's the tax, or the vigorous, because the money has moved it in that particular direction, and so that the money, when you lose a bet uh, with the vigorous, and that it takes it takes longer to be able to get it back. And I, you know, I I fear, you know, I fear there's a lot of people who think, oh man, I can really, I can really do this, and you really can't. It's hard, okay. I'm just here to tell you. And to make money on today's vigor, you've got to hit 55, 56, 57%. Um, it's not that easy. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult. I think the league is protected by that. Uh, I know there's been angst, but they, the National Football League is ahead of the curve when it comes to injuries, okay? And that's critical information, certainly uh, during the course of, of, of the regular season. But I, I don't know that there's anything that – you know, that they could say to me, uh, first of all, I live in Nevada. It's perfectly legal for me to go and gamble. And uh, the Supreme Court has said that it's up to every state now uh, to do it. I I just have a hard time. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, you know, the one thing that the league has to maintain is that sign that's up in every locker room uh, reminding uh, people in those organizations that they can't wager on the games. I mean that 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 goes without saying. And and the league the league has monitored that. I was I was a newspaper man in '63 when Roselle suspended Paul Horning and Alex Karras for that year for gambling on their own teams. In Horning's case, the Packers, and in Karras's case, the Lions. And in that year that those two were out, um, George Hallis and the Chicago Bears would with George Allen as a defensive coordinator, they won the NFL championship. And the title game was was played in uh, Chicago, in Wrigley Field, because that's where the Bears um, used to play. And I can still, it was, oh, it was a brutal, brutal cold day. And I can still see in the back of the end zone to my right, I can still see, first of all, the Bears knocked uh, Wyatt Tittle was, was out of the game and a uh, backup quarterback by the name of Griffin, who had played it, Mississippi was quarterback. I can still see Del Schaffner, talented wide receiver for the Giants, 
the situation where they could have won the game. Uh, he slipped on a piece of ice in the back of the end zone. <laughs> but to a large extent, the, the Bears won that championship because of the gambling suspensions of Horning uh, and Karras, especially Horning. People forget that along with being a very talented running back, and then somebody one day confided in me that uh, Horning was his all-time favorite offensive player. Uh, he would, you know, it would, I don't know how we got to be privately engaged in this conversation. Jim Taylor was great fullback. Bart Starr was the quarterback. But he thought that Horning was money. And Horning was also his field goal kicker. And uh, back in that day, I, I chuckled when this whole thing arose over Bounty Gate uh, with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and, and the media made it sound like this. Oh, my God. This is, I, listen, back in the day, every one of those teams had a bounty <laughs> on guys like Johnny Unitas and that, that to, get him out, to get him out of the game. So, I, I you know, you, you have to monitor the gambling. Uh, it's It's been here. Now it's more out in the open. Uh, but I and, – and, and the bookies, listen, the bookies who run these bet shops, they're not stupid. Uh, a large bet, whether it's offshore of the United States, if it's bet in Costa Rica or Panama or London, the computers immediately alert them to the fact that a whole lot of cash is being bet on one side or the other. And they can quickly take a game off the board and say, uh, let's check this and see what's going on. Uh, I mean, these are, these are smart people who, who run the, uh, the major gambling operations uh, worldwide. And the, uh, the Premier League, the Premier League has done a great job through the years. Uh, some, of the, some of the gambling uh, factors like Ladbrokes and Paddy Power, they actually sponsor teams and they have bet windows over there. And they've done it. And they monitor it. Uh, sometimes there's probably been some funny business. You have, you have to excuse Jackson. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised you haven't heard Macy barking. I think it's time for her to be fed soon. So she knows how to make a racket. I'm adjusting to that. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I didn't, uh, didn't mean to go wandering off into a never never land no hey brent this is these are great great answers and responses and stories and i loved every second of it i know i've kept you longer than i should have before i let you go though i want to go back to one of the original things you said the meeting you had with pete rosell and jimmy the greek i mean what kind of Mm -hmm. do's and don'ts do you expect to get now from roger goodell and company about making any reference to the line at any point over unders anything that would acknowledge the reality that is now upon us of legalized gambling. Well, they've got a uh, they've got a little bit of a probably a problem with me. I don't want to say it's a problem. I mean, they, I'm not going to I'm not going to lean on it. Uh, again, I, I use an anecdote of let's say the Raiders score late, and it puts it into the fifties, the final score. Okay. I, I'm not going to say, hey, go cash those over tickets. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> okay. But, but I'm going to say, and that puts our scoring total at 55, you know, and then those who know, know, and those who don't, and so be it, you know. Uh, now, I, I listen, if I was to start, hey, welcome to the Oakland Raiders and the Los Angeles Rams from the Oakland Alameda Coliseum, on a beautiful Monday night. And by the way, the Rams, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to go there with the lead of the show being on the, uh, on the gambling. I, I think that if I went over, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that they're going to say, let's just see how he handles it. Let's, let's just sit back. And then if they feel that I or any other announcer has gone a little bit overboard on a mic, they're going to, I would think that the office would probably call Mark Davis directly, okay? This is what I'm just assuming. Although, listen, sometimes with that NFL office, you shouldn't assume anything, if you know what I mean. But uh, <laughs> they would say, listen, let's, let's, oh, I know. let's have him tone. Okay, <laughs> let's have him tone that down. Uh, they have been 
they they were very proactive with me, the NFL office. Uh, Mike, back in the day when uh, we would end the NFC championship, and sometimes we would be doing the Super Bowl, and sometimes um, at the time uh, NBC would be doing the Super Bowl. But I would always give the spread on the game. Uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are going to be favored in the Super Bowl by a touchdown, something like that. San Francisco 49ers are going to be favored. And the league would always complain by calling Neil Pilsen, okay? And Neil would call me, and I would say, ah, I forgot, I'm sorry. And I'd do it all over again the next year. <laughs> I knew, okay, I, I knew how much was moving on then. And the league knew. So I would guess that that would be the chain of command. Uh, nothing, nothing's been said to me about it. Everybody knows what I'm doing. I mean, it's no, it's no particular secret. Uh, everybody knows I've been in favor of what the Supreme Court did, of bringing it more out in the open and uh, keeping an eye on it. And I just, you know, if you, if you check back with me in mid-November, Mike, and you call me, uh, I will tell you if anything has, because it's an open book. I mean, I don't, you know, uh, but I'm from my point of view, I'm always going to know it. Everybody knows I know it. But I'm, it, I still don't think it's the most important part of the game. Let me also add that for just clarity on this. I, I don't think that uh, – I still think winning the game, having your team mature, backing a team, uh, maybe even playing a fantasy league is, uh, is more important than if a, if a handful of people are going to cash tickets and win money on what the uh, – on what the team does. Is it important? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's an important part of the sports industry, but it's not the single most important. I think that right now, because this is so new and because of New Jersey opening up, there has been an awful lot of coverage and, and there certainly will be when you, when you realize that you can bet at the Meadowlands before you go in to watch the Jets or the Giants play, you know, how big a story this is going to be when the season opens ever, Every media outlet and uh, and those people with cell phones, they're going to be covering that opening week at the Meadowlands. Make, make no mistake out of that. But then, what what will happen happened over in England? You take a couple of decades, Mike, and and it becomes just part of the and nobody pays any attention to it. When I was down in Australia, where it's legal to gamble on Australian rules, football, rugby, anything else, American basketball, they love to bet on American basketball. Uh, people don't pay attention to it. There's there's no big stories in the paper. There's a place where you can see the numbers, uh, and that's about it. I mean, it's and, and that is what will happen in the United States long-term. Short-term, obviously, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to it because this is the first year in which we've had a state where it's legal uh, outside of Nevada to make a single-game wager. So, But it'll it'll just become part of our culture. And, and but listen, most people don't pay attention to it. I mean, it, there were there were far more people who went on about their business in Australia than those that I saw in the uh, in the corner bookshops when I went in to visit them. And the same thing is true over in uh, over in London. Uh, it's just it's just part of the, the sports world. And uh, and but because it's new, and because we haven't had it, it will be, in my opinion, it will be a huge story this year when the uh, when the season opens. Oh, and I was with Al Michaels in New York at an NBC event the day the Supreme Court decision came out. And he's got that reputation for the little impish streak where he'll make the offhand reference. And he said, what am I going to do now? So I'm sure Al will have something cooked up by that first Sunday night. Hey, that first Monday night when you're at Oakland Alameda County Coliseum, are we going to get you are listening live? Is that going to be the new the new welcome? Yeah, I. I think you are listening live is a way to do it. I've given it a lot of thought. What, what do you think? Let me ask you. What do you think? Should I like you are listening live. I got it. Or, or just go, I, I you know what? Why, why change it? Everybody knows it's radio. You can still say you are looking live. I think people would probably right. rather hear that. Well, yeah, you could do it. Uh, <laughs> I am looking live and you are listening. There we go. <laughs> I am looking live. I think that's the winner. <laughs> Hey, Brent, thank you so much. I tell you what, this is one of the highlights. I've been doing this 18 years. 
this last 52 minutes has been one of the highlights of it. I can't thank you enough. Anything I can ever do for you, please it. let me know. I, I enjoyed it. I have to tell you, you, you caught me in a reflective morning, my friend. And so, as a matter of fact, you know, and this is this is the truth. I always look at the uh, the NBC, you know, the sports the sports talk site that you guys have up there, okay. And uh, I've got the columns, and I've got the pro football talk. That's the top line up here. And uh, are the Rams concerned about giving Aaron Donald big money? Andrew Luck feels good, but knows he still has steps to take. Report, John Gruden and Khalil Mack haven't spoken since Gruden became coach. There you have it. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate right, it. And, I, and uh, I look forward to talking to you in November to see how much grief you're getting from the NFL. You got it. Okay, All right. Bye. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brent. Bye. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.